This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So uh, we're going to go ahead and we're continuing to talk about God's purpose of the family. And like I said, we've been talking about this since the summer. Now, my portion of this is uh, God's covenant agent. So let's go ahead and go over to um, Genesis chapter 1. God's purpose in the family in this particular section that I'm teaching on is God's covenant agent. Um, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 through 28. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So we were looking at this, and what we were saying is that God has an intended purpose or position for the family. And this is just review. This is actually kind of a review of the whole series that we've been teaching on. So God has a purpose. Remember, we have a purpose for God. God didn't set up Adam and Eve and said, replenish, do some stuff just so they could be cute. It was a purpose. It was something that they were to accomplish. There was a position that they were supposed to have. Every believing family has a call from God to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done in the earth. So that's the purpose of the family. And we understand last week I was telling you individuals make up the family. So when you think about, we're teaching on God's purpose in the family, but God's purpose in the family has to be worked out through the individuals in the family. You can't expect the sum of the parts to be different than the whole. You know what I mean? You cannot expect to add um, carrots and get green beans. So if you have have carrots on your plate, you're not going to take two carrots and make them a green bean. That's just not how it works. That's the thing. If you take godly believers, if you take a godly man and a godly woman who are walking in the purpose of God and they get married, guess what? They continue to walk in the purpose of God. They will produce godly children. That produces a godly family. So don't get, when I I say family, and also another thing about family, we're all part of a family. Like I don't, I'm not married. I don't have children, but I'm part of a family. I have a mother. I have sisters. I have brothers. I have nieces, nephews, cousins. I'm part of that family. So guess what? God's purpose in the family is just not that little. It is part of it. It starts with that nuclear family, but you also reach other people. So just because either maybe you're not in that position anymore, maybe you're a grandparent, or maybe you you haven't reached the age where you're going to get married and you haven't had children yet, don't sit here and think this is not for you. Don't sit here and just look at the people who have children and say, oh, y'all should be listening to this. No, you should be listening to this. Because all of us have a piece and a part to play. So... We talked about the purpose of the family, and we looked at it, and we started out, um, I believe it was Minister Stinson started talking about, she talked about um, the purpose of the family was to reflect the image of God. And then Minister Hill came up on, and he talked about the purpose of the family was to conduct the uh, government of God. Then Minister Everhart came on, and he said the purpose of the family is to produce and raise a godly seed. 
And now my portion is to show God is to um, show that the uh, purpose of the family is to show God's love as His covenant agents. So remember, all of this is going together. You're not going to pull one of these pieces out and be successful at that and leave the other pieces undone. All of it, one message. We just each of us just has different pieces, and it just takes time so that everybody can understand it. So the objective of my of my portion of the teaching is to explain how the family should be representatives of God's love in the earth and those who act on his behalf. So the family should be representative of God's love in the earth and those who act on his behalf. And we know individuals make up the family. In this, last week we talked about what a covenant agent was and we got into what God's love is. So we're also going to explain what God's love produces in the family. And then lastly we're going to look at how the product of godly love affects those outside the family. So we're talking about the, the love within the family, but the love within the family uh, radiates out and shows to others. So that's, that's the whole purpose of this. Once again, God's purpose for the family and God's purpose for us is not for us to just stay where we are, just to have like this little containment of, oh, God's love, I've got to show Kelly his love, so Kelly's going to be contained right here with only God's love within herself. That's not what God is saying. That's not what he's doing. Think about that. If God had done that, would any of us be saved? And we wouldn't. So that's God's purpose. He wants to produce those spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get his redemptive work done in the earth. And guess what? We are those people who get God's redemptive work done in the earth. So let's go over to Galatians chapter 5. And you may want to put your, if you have a ribbon, you can put your ribbon here because we're going to go back over this, go back to this scripture later on. So Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 25 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we understand that the godly seed, the Spirit, produces godly fruit. You, once again, you're not going to get ungodly, you're not going to uh, plant ungodly things and get godly things. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The family should show God's love at His covenant agents. And this is all review, so I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. The result of uh, His Spirit, God's Spirit living on the inside of you, should be evident in your actions. God's purpose for the family is not for us to live by the world's standard, by his, but by His standard. So we went over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And last week I read it out of the King James and the, the Message Bible. This week I'm going to read it again to you out of the Message Bible. So it's the Message Translation that I'm reading here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, verses 14 to 21. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died from everyone, for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. 
Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at this. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already friends with you. How, you ask? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. So we see here we are to be God's covenant agents. We're to be his representatives in the earth. And we said a covenant is an agreement between two parties. We have a covenant with God through Christ. So the covenant that we have is of grace, not a mirror. We didn't do anything on our own. We could not get this by our own works. It's by the grace of God that we were able to enter into this covenant through Christ. So we looked at covenant, and then we also said what an agent is. An agent is a person who acts on behalf of another person or group. It's a representative or an ambassador. So when we put those together and we say, well, what are we? What will we describe ourselves or define ourselves as God's covenant agents? God's covenant agents are those who have entered into an agreement with God that's based on his grace, not their merit, and act solely on his behalf, not seeking their own will. So that's who we are as God's covenant agents. We've entered into an agreement with him, not based on our own works, but based on his grace, and now we act solely for his benefit, not our own will. So we've given up what we want and we've come into covenant with God and we've taken on his will and his purpose. <clears throat> and we talked about how because we've done that, the love of Christ constrains us to his purpose. Because we love him, we, we're now constrained by his purpose. There have been walls or fences built around us that constrains us to doing what he, his purpose is. We're controlled and we're compelled by his love because we're following his example. Remember, we're not doing this because we just did it on our own. We saw what Christ did for us, what God did for us, and now we can follow that example. So, because of Christ's love, we're converted. Now, by his love, we should be compelled to live a selfless life committed to the purpose of God. God has reconciled reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now it's our responsibility, our service, our ministry to reconcile others to him. By our examples, we should bring others to Christ. We, there should be, in our lifestyles, there should be a distinct difference. There should be something that people, they may never come up and talk to you about it, but there should be something in your life that they see differently. Because the thing about it is you may just minister to that person by your life. Now we know in the word it says one plants another water, but it's God that gives the increase. You may work with a person. You may, you may go to the dry cleaners. Just something you do on a daily basis or regularly, and those people may see your lifestyle. They may just see that you wouldn't take an extra nickel. They gave you an extra nickel back, and you say, no, you gave me too much change. And they may say, that's just odd that they gave me that nickel back. They walk back in here to give me a nickel. And that's all they may ever see. But later on, somebody will come back and minister to them. Somebody will say something to them, and guess what? God will bring it to remember. Say, remember that person that did that thing that you thought was really nice but just really odd? 
that was God. That was them. So you never know even the small things. Even the small things, God is working themselves, working himself to show himself through you in those things. And I think I said this last week. We don't have to try so hard to show other people who God is. All we have to do is live what he's told us to live. You don't have to go out and look for ways. You don't have to look for extra change. Oh, let me make sure because if they kind of, if they gave me too much change, I'm going to rent it back in there. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is what God told you to do. Be constrained by his love. Be compelled and controlled by his love. And guess what? You won't even know the opportunity. God will show you. Remember when you did this? That was me ministering through you. You won't even be like, well, God, I was just being obedient. I was just doing what you told me to do. And God will say, yeah, that's all I need you to do. You don't have to focus on those things. You just have to focus on being led by the Spirit. So the family shouldn't seek to do their own thing. They should be totally uh, committed to accomplishing God's will on the earth. God's love is sacrificing love, and we should have the same type of love. And we looked at it, and we saw that God gave us a choice to be in covenant with him. His love is his love. It said in the scripture that I read earlier, his love went out to everyone. But you get to choose if you want to accept that love and come in covenant with him. If you choose to do that, you accept that love, you're in covenant with him, then you give up your rights and you act solely on his behalf. But what God doesn't do is he doesn't change his standard. He doesn't say, well, this person wants to accept my love but wants to do it their way. They don't want to be controlled by my spirit. They want to be doing their own thing. God doesn't change his standard. He doesn't compromise. Now, he's not insecure. And I know a lot of us, I was thinking about this, in our families because we love our families. We're close to our families. We want them to accept us. So sometimes, because we want them to accept us, we will compromise that standard. We will say that's not that big of a deal. And I think last week I got to talking about the things you wear and, you know, parents, don't give in to your children. You know, no. You know what? I was thinking about it. And that age between about 11 and probably about, mm, depending, sometimes about 22, we'll bring it down in there. I said at post-teen but not grown. There are a lot of things that you think you want, you think you need, and you, your life is going to end if you don't get it. But guess what? What was I just gave you 11 years. In the span of time, that's nothing. You're going to look back at those times, those of you who are going through it, you're going to look back at that time like, man, that flew by. That seemed like a short amount of time. And then you're going to look back, and I'm going to tell you now, you're not going to listen to me because I know I was there. You're going to look back and you're like, you're going to send your, your mom and your dad, you're going to say thank you, you're going to call them, and thank you for not killing me because I was stupid. And it's fine. Because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But guess what? That's why, guess what? The rod of correction. And we talked about God loves us, so what? He corrects us. He chastens us. He doesn't allow us to live in sin. We may not necessarily enjoy that while he's doing it, but we enjoy the fruit of it. We accept it. So as parents, that's what we always have to do. Members of any family, as cousins, as brothers, as sisters, there has to be correction. You can't see, you can't see wrong going on and then just sit back and say, well, you know, Here's the thing. They grown. They do what they want to do. I can't tell them what to do. But you know that that is wrong. You know that you, you got somebody living in sin. You know that they're living in sin and they talk to you about it. And then you, you, you sit there and say, well, you know, everybody's not going to live that way. No. That's not what God says. What, what does God say? When, God, when you come in here and you know what God does, God doesn't necessarily just point out the exact wrong thing you do, did. What God does is he'll show you what's right. He'll just point out, say, here's right. Here's right. 
And you know what? I said it earlier. He doesn't compromise. If right is a circle, he doesn't make it an oval. He does not compromise. He doesn't erase a little piece and let a little bit come in. No. He says he is right. And then you try to put your, your square over that circle and he'll say, I'm not changing. So guess what? You have to change. And that's all you have to do. All you have to do, sometimes you don't even have to point out that people are wrong. You just have to say, well, is this this standard? Is this this standard? I was talking to my nephew uh, the other day. He said something. We've been talking about some assignment that he had in Youth With Conviction. And I knew what the assignment was. And then he did something that went away from the assignment. I said, is that lovely? I forgot what it was. I said, is that lovely? Is that just? Or is that speaking? Whatever it was. And he was like, oh. I said, that's it. We can't assume that the word is just there for us to remember. The word is there for us to judge. We judge each other. And then, you know, when we see it, like, you know, is, is that what God says we're supposed to be doing? No, we, we, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to correct. God's love corrects. And the thing about it is God's love, love corrects us in a specific way, in a specific manner. And we're going to talk about that today. But God's love, it produced something for us. And God's love, what it produced for us, it should also produce in your family. Let's go to, over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at um, verses 17 through 23. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine that was delivered to deliver you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in, then in those things whereof ye now are ashamed, or, or excuse me, whereof ye, ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what God's love produced for us, it freed us from sin. It freed us from sin and now it binds us to righteousness. So, we were slaves to sin and unrighteousness, but God's love, His love was personified through Jesus Christ. He gave His only begotten Son for us so that we may have eternal life. So now, we are free from that bondage of sin, and we are bond servants to Jesus Christ, to God. So we give our lives now when we were servants of unrighteousness, we're servants of righteousness. The fruit that we had before was were fruit of unrighteousness. Now we have fruit of righteousness. So you see that in that scripture it says, Being now made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and unto everlasting life. So that's the type of fruit that we should have. We shouldn't have fruit that that produces death or that is unrighteous. What should be produced is righteousness. So 
What's the purpose of fruit? You know, even though we do this, this is not the purpose of fruit. Fruit is not just to be pretty. You know, like sometimes you'll go and you'll see like a display and it's, and it's fruit and it's all the different, like you do lines and limbs and it's just pretty. And you think, oh, that's really pretty. Fruit, fruit has a purpose. It's supposed to meet a need. So like you think about last week I thought I brought up a lemon and I taught, told you all the things, well not all the things, a lot of things that lemons do. All the health benefits for you, they even have benefits for your skin, even for the air. That's the way our fruit is supposed to be. We're not just supposed to be pretty trees with beautiful fruit or a beautiful display. People are supposed to be able to come and get something from us. God, Remember, God is purposeful. If he just wanted something pretty, he would have made something pretty and said, here, there's pretty. But his purpose runs further than that. His purpose is to accomplish his will on the earth. So, God's love should radiate out of us so that others can see it. God's love produces a certainty in us. And we're going to get into this a little later on in the teaching. But where there was uncertainty and insecurity, the love of God takes that out and puts us in security. Now we are certain. Because guess what? Remember he translates us, he adopts us, he places into his body, his family. Now we know where we stand. You don't have to worry about those things anymore. So whereas before there were thoughts that you had and there were insecurities that you had, you trying to fix it yourself, you don't have to do that. Now you're in God. And he's produced a certainty. He's given you a position. You think about that. He's given you a position that no one can take away. He's placed you there. So all those uncertainties where they may come up, you don't have to keep them. You can say, ah, I can throw that, on. I can throw that away because I am in Christ. As God's covenant agent, agents, this should be seen. Because the thing about it is, we are all people. Saved or unsaved, we are all people. We all have flesh. So insecurities, uncertainties, those things are going to come up in you. But guess what? You will always bring to remembrance who you are in Christ. So you don't have to live out of those. People who are not in Christ, guess what? That's what they live out of. That's what they live out of. They may hide it very well, but that's what they live out of. As believers, we don't have to live out of that. We have a certainty. We have a place that God has given us. He's given us position through his love. And remember, it's not by merit. It's by grace. So even when you... Fall out of line, act a fool, whatever you want to call it. Guess what? He's ready to restore you so you can keep that place. So you don't necessarily have to walk around with those same insecurities as those who have not accepted Christ and been put in position. So as believers, we represent God. We're benefactors and witnesses of his love. So what does that mean? We benefit from his love. Remember the positioning I just talked about? That's benefiting from his love. We're also witnesses of his love. We can tell others of what his love has done in our lives. So as witnesses, we should testify of what God has done. Not only with our mouths, but with our lives. It's so much easier. It's so much easier to testify of something that you look like. So I've always loved to bake. But like... um, when I was in my, 20, in my teens and my 20s, I was really slight. I tell people I love to bake, and they're like, girl, I'm not eating nothing you bake because you like a negative zero. Because I, I, I was little, so people didn't believe I didn't look like I liked to bake. So people were like, I don't believe you. I'm not eating anything you 
Now they probably believe <laughs> But you know, it's just like, you know, like, you, what did it say? Never tr- trust a skinny chef? That's the thing. How you, how you gonna trust a believer who's living like an unbeliever? How you gonna go and tell the world how good God is, but you can't, you can't get it together? How you gonna tell the world how much, how faithful God is and how merciful He is, but you're mean and rude? Those, those are, that's not who we are. We testify of God's love through our lifestyle. So, what does God's love produce in the family? So, let's go to Galatians. And um, back in Galatians, we're going to go to chapter 6 this time. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read verses um, 1 through 10. And remember, this is what God's love produces in the family. It's going to seem like maybe the scripture you're going to say, that's a stretch, but we're going we're to bring it in, okay? So uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of, his, of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, season we shall reap if we faint not. And, excuse me, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we're going to talk about what God's God's love in the family. First of all, we're going to do, and we'll tell you, we're going to talk about worldly love, or the opposite of God's love, what the world calls love. Let's look at verses 7 through 8 there. So it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So, the world's love is sowing to your flesh. So, what does the world's standard of love do? The world's standard of love promotes self-preservation, not self-sacrifice. So, when we live by the world's standard of love, we can only reap what we've sown. We can't bring forth a family that produces godly fruit when we've sown ungodly seeds. So what, what do I mean by that? You cannot expect to take on the world's standards and live by the world's standards and then expect God to come in and give you a godly family. Okay, so let, let's take it. We're going to take it all the way back. So godly family. Remember, to have a family, we got to have, and we know this, but I'm going to say it. We have a man and a woman, and they get married. So somehow that has to start off. So you are, okay, we'll, we'll start real early. You're starting to notice the opposite sex. You're at that age where you're realizing, wait, 
I'm a girl, and that's a boy, and there's something about him that I like, and I can't really figure it out. At that point, that's when the parents step in and they start explaining those things to you. Now, what the world does is what the world will do is say, let's go ahead and start dating. Get your boyfriend. You know, get your boyfriend. I'll take you over to his house, and y'all can hang out, and, you know, he's playing on the little football team, and you can uh, make a sign for him and decorate his locker and all those things. And as you get older, now you can spend more time together. Now you can do this. Now, you know, you get to your uh, late teens. Oh, the family's going on vacation. Oh, bring your boyfriend, bring your girlfriend. So now, all of a sudden, what used to be just friends and, 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 and you know, it's fine. You like each other, whatever y'all do. Like each other. That's fine. That's the way God intended for you to do. But it's a certain thing you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to be giving your heart to people. You, that's not what it's for. But the world says, go ahead. Give your heart to those people. Go ahead. Accept them. Bring them into you. Bring them close to you. Give them parents. Let them have influence over your children. Let, let, the, let their parents have influence over your children. Go ahead. Pretend that y'all are already in-laws because it's going to be that way. But that's what the world does. That's exactly what the world does. The world comes up and it, it does these things and it puts our children in positions, things that should be special. Things that should be special. You know, I, I look at what is it, the big deal with homecoming. Homecoming just happened. And I looked at some of these things and all the money that these people spend on homecoming. And the children, the, the uh, girls go out, they get their nails done, they get all these things that usually would have been reserved for a wedding day. But now what you hadn't realized is that's just money. That's just money making. What they're doing is, oh, we need to figure out a way to make a profit so our stocks will go up. So let's tell them they, that their children need this during prom. So now what we do, oh, yeah, we'll buy that. We'll do that. But that's the world's way. So now your child does not know what a relationship with, another, with the opposite sex is. They think every relationship that they have is like a little, a, a small version of a marriage. So what happens is when they go into marriage, they don't look for somebody to um, fulfill the purpose of God. They don't look for that. They look for somebody who's going to help them with their status. They look for somebody that's going to make them look better or feel what we, they call that insecurity. So, you know, like I heard this one thing says smart women like to be called pretty and pretty women like to be called smart. So whichever one you fall into that category in or you think whoever meets that need that you think you don't have, that's who you want. And then as a man, you want that, that pretty uh, token wife that you can take to all your business dinners and she can make you look good. And when you have children, she produces some pretty children and can pop back into that hourglass figure. Those are the things we're looking at. Don't play. Don't play with me. Y'all know. Don't play. Don't play. So we, we, that's what happens. So we marry out of that. We marry out of that self-promoting attitude, not a, self, a self-sacrificing attitude. But we, the thing about it is I'm talking about Christians. But we don't think about what God's plan is. So we get into the marriage. The husband and wife, they still have everything separate. And I'm not just talking about separate bank accounts. Separate everything. They just live in the house together. They're roommates. They do things their own way. They never come together and create a family of their own, a home of their own. So then it's time to have children. And they don't have children based on the purpose of God. They have children based on what they want. You know, I'm this age. I don't want to have a child when I'm this age, so now I've got to have a child. So, once again, self-promoting. So they have the children, and they bring the children in. And then you come in... 
You're still coming to church. You're doing all those things. You know what? You, you got married by your pastor. All those different things happen, but you're still following the world standard. You're covering up the window dressing looks like a Christian, but you're doing exactly what the world does. You can go out. You could take that same example I gave you, and you could look at somebody who does not call themselves a Christian, and they'll have the exact same framework. They got married by a pastor, but they didn't, they didn't love God. And then you do those things and you come in, you have your child, and then something happens and you expect God, first of all, you expect to have a godly marriage. How can you have a godly marriage when God was never in the beginnings of it? How can you expect to have godly children? How can you expect to raise godly children when you've never followed anything else that God has done? So the world, what the world produces is that. So in that, remember, you, you have now followed the world's standard of love. God's standard of love, remember, he puts us in that position. He takes care of us. When you're following the world, you don't get those benefits. So guess what? You're left feeling empty. You feel la- you're lacking. So you, what happens is, what does the world do when they feel empty and lacking? They go and they get that, go after that thing that they think is going to accomplish them. So they go after a bigger job, more money, a bigger house. You know, um... Maybe another wife. Maybe, um, maybe not necessarily let this one go. Maybe I'll just have another relationship that I shouldn't have. Maybe I will um, spend more money than I'm supposed to have, more supposed to spend. Maybe I will put my child in some extracurricular activities that they can be good at and make me feel good. That's what we do. And you know, the thing about it is I look at that and parents are so deceived by that. They are so deceived. Let me tell you, I'm just going to say 90% of children, 90% of children, I don't know them all, so that's why I'm not saying 100, want to please their parents. So if you show that your child that you are interested in gymnastics, let's say, you, they see you watching gymnastics on TV, they're going to say, you like that? And they'll go after that. And they'll be, they may be great. And you're, you're giving them all these kudos, you're giving them all these things, attention that you didn't give them before. Because guess what? You were following a worldly standard and you were trying to self-promoting, trying to do all these other things. So now your child's doing something that you like or that, that dream that you didn't get to follow. So now you're giving them all this attention. And that's what your child's been wanting the whole time. So guess what? They will excel at it. They will press towards that. And now you're like, I have what I've always wanted. Everything I've always wanted, I have that. But what you've done now is you've given your child over to another system. You don't know those people. You don't know what they're promoting. And I use gymnastics. It could be sports. It could be academics. It could be the arts. It could be anything that's not the purpose of God. So all of those things, you have to watch it. And what happens is now your child gets in that position, and then 10 years down the line, you're wondering why your child's coming to you saying, you know, I'm not a heterosexual. I'm a homosexual. I'm a lesbian. Or you're wondering why your child, your daughter's having to come back to you in the middle of the night because some man beat her up. Or you're wondering why your, why your, why your daughters and your sons can't help keep their virginity. Because guess what? You gave them over to the world standard. And even better yet, here's the thing. You're wondering why they're coming to you saying, I don't believe this God that you've been telling me about is a true and living God. I'm going to go over here and serve somebody else. I don't believe that. You know why? Because what we did was we put a, a, bo- a box. We had a box. And in that box was worldly and devilish idol worship. And we wrapped it up 
Even though that box wasn't, had nothing in there, it didn't look like God, it didn't smell like God, it didn't feel like God. We took some wrapping paper that we found from somebody else that looked like God and we said, this is God. And that's what we gave our children. And we confused them. And that's what we give the world. That's what we give our family. And then our family comes to us and they say, well, that person's supposed to be a Christian. And they're looking for godly counsel. And guess what we give them? We give them worldly counsel. And then they come back a few months later looking for godly counsel. And you give them godly counsel, but they say, that doesn't match what you just gave me a few weeks ago. Because we've been living by this worldly standard. And once again, this worldly standard is never going to produce godly fruit. So, the world's stereotypes us and places our families in the categories. And, and God doesn't do that. When you think about it, just, just for a second, think about your family. Think about the family you come from, the family that you're in now. The world stereotypes your family. So if you had, um, what, what do they call it, a nuclear family. You had a mom and dad in home. They said, okay, so these people will produce this type of thing. Depending on where your parents worked, this is what should happen. All the world stereotypes us. So, like, um, I'll think about my family. Growing up, I grew up in a small town. Everybody knew my family. Not just my family. They knew my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. So there was a certain thing that was expected of me because of the family that I came from. I was stereotyped. And that's what, what the world does. You know, like, like, all of my sisters were in band, and they were really good. I was horrible. So they were like, well, you're, you're a Castile. We expected this. But that's what the world does. Oh, you live in this neighborhood? This is what you should be doing. You do this? This is what you should be doing. Oh, no, you shouldn't be saying that. And guess what we do? We accept that stereotype. We raise our children. We, get, we, we fall into that. That's a worldly standard. And then when we don't live up, what we do, we accept the worldly standard. We adopt the worldly standard. And then we feel bad about not living up to a worldly standard. And it's just all wrong. So now instead of you searching and seeking God, you're seeking out how to fulfill that worldly standard. So we, we can't do that. When we give ourselves and our families over to the world standard, we'll reap corruption. And I gave you that example. And, it, and it's, it's just so amazing. It's just we think that we can do things our way and expect to get godly results. It's just not going to happen. Earlier I said you can't put two carrots together and get green beans. It's just not going to happen. They're not the same thing. When we reap this corruption, God's love is not able to be seen through us because we've decided not to allow it to be seen through us. Remember, we're benefactors, benefactors of God's love. We're also witnesses of God's love. But if we choose not to be a witness, if we choose not to allow God's love to work through us, remember, it's our choice. It's not going to work through us. God's love is not going to work through us. Go over to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 18 through 21. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect fear casteth, excuse me, perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. 
If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So I want to go up to that word fear. Fear is dread or terror. Earlier we were talking about the darkness um, and how in darkness we don't know what's happening. We can't see, so we're a little fearful. Fear is usually a result of, of a perceived physical or emotional danger. The result of fear is usually self-protection or self-preservation. So self-preservation is the exact opposite of self-sacrifice. So what, what, is, what, what is God's love? God's love is self-sacrifice. So that's why perfect love casts out fear. But when we have fear, we try to protect and preserve ourselves so we don't have the love of God. So what does this have to do with our family? In the family, we fear rejection of our family because we love our family. We want to be accepted. We fear getting hurt. We fear losing status or respect. But remember, we have the love of God, and that casts out fear. God never intended for there to be dysfunctional families, especially among believers. So when you think about a dysfunctional family, and you know, I was, somebody was talking, they said, you know, all, fun, uh, all families are dysfunctional. That's once again, we've accepted the world standard. We've said all families have to be dysfunctional. You know, dysfunctional means not functioning. It means out of order, not functioning in the proper order. God's people should not have dysfunctional families. That does not mean God's uh, families will not have problems, they will not have issues that they have to get over. But guess what? We have the love of God. He's positioned us, he's given us a place, and he's providing for us so we don't have to be dysfunctional. So what we have to remember is we have to follow God's order. We can't have a form of godliness and deny his power. That means that I say I love God, but I don't let his power be seen through me. God's love transforms our families into covenant representatives of, our love, of his love. When we give ourselves over to lust and worldly desires, we can love God with our mouths, but we won't with our hearts. And that's going to show forth. When we, when we do this, when we love God with our mouths, but not with our hearts, our families live in a state of confusion and struggle because we worship idols. We've taken something that was to be used for a certain purpose, and we've made it our God. We've made it our God. It is not a God. We've just determined that this is going to be my God. And that's what I'm going to hold up. And that's what I'm going to worship. And people, I may not say it, but everybody's going to see it in my actions. So everybody's seeing this, including the children. And they're confused because they hear us say one thing, that we love God and we trust God, but then they see us do the exact opposite. They see us not love God. They see us not trust God. They see us trust the God that we have made. So... When we don't do that, we can't follow up the action with a demonstration of God's love. So that causes our children to think God isn't real. So what they're now thinking is, this person, my family, my parents have told me about this God that is so loving and is so powerful, but what they've shown me is something totally different. So they're like, I'm confused. And then, as they grow up, they realize this is not right. Something that they're telling me is not right. So instead of thinking, well, maybe, you know, 
maybe my parents aren't doing exactly what's wrong. Remember the enemy. We have an enemy. The enemy says God's not real. And guess what? You've shown them God's not real. So now instead of being a witness of God's love, you're a witness of something else. So this causes our children to think that God's not real. And this is the, one of the reasons that a whole generation has left the church. Because they've seen that nasty box that we wrapped up in that old wrapping paper and said it was God with the stinky things of the flesh. They, they think that that's what's God. And they're saying, if that's what's God in that church, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't like that. So that's why we have a generation that's left, that we're, we're going out to restore. But they've done it because of what they've seen. They haven't seen true witnesses of God. They're seeking a true relationship. You know, when you think about it, they, people are seeking a true relationship. This is one of the things that God told me during the fast. There's nobody that I don't want to reach and don't think that I can't reach them through you. Don't, don't limit me because of who you think, you know, who you think they are. I know who they are and I know who you are. So, we should make sure that we show forth the love of God. We have to drop the worldly standards and we have to seek and live in the world of godly love and godly standards. Amen? And I am out of time. God is faithful. You all can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.